Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts L. John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the show that we talk all things Disney and pop culture. Dave and I take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, and music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician, podcaster, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at dave at skullrockpodcast.com well al john uh it's another week another show and we have a fantastic guest uh and it's going to be a two-parter which i'm really excited about we've got former imagineer tanya mcknight norris and we are going to be unpacking a lot of stuff with her i mean i'm just so excited to be talking with her she is such a wonderful wonderful woman I am too, because there's so much about her career that is absolutely fascinating. And she was there from the inception, basically, or the uh, actually the launching of Disneyland. Oh, and so it's really cool that she's here to talk about all that history that she had personally with Walt. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm excited about because, you know, she not only was an interior designer and, and worked on the whole New Orleans Square and the Haunted Mansion and yeah. all of that, um, she also did some interior design work for Lillian Disney, for Edna uh, Disney, uh, Roy O's wife. And so I'm excited to just talk to her. And she's a very fascinating individual because she's traveled to over 130 countries uh, she is just a globe-trotting, worldly individual, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, a lot of different facets of her life. I can't wait. I can't wait. She's so charming, and I, I, I think she's a complete delight. I think uh, everyone's going to love to hear what she has to say. But having said that, we do have a lot of uh, headline news as well to run through. But uh, first and foremost, Dave, I uh, hope you had a, 
a good week and I hope you watched a lot of stuff because I'm a little light this week. <laughs> oh yeah. You know something, it's really interesting, you know, because Nancy uh, had a little surgery done about a week or so ago uh, and she's fine. Right. It was very minor. It was uh, routine stuff. And uh, so she's been recuperating. So I've actually uh, spent a little time in the evenings with her watching a bunch of different things. And uh, I have to tell you, first and foremost, I went to the movies with a friend and I saw the film Vengeance, Ooh. which is written and directed by B.J. Novak. Yes. Uh, and by the way, from Blumhouse. Uh-huh. Okay. Which yeah. is known for doing their horror movies. Uh, this is actually a really great film. Oh. You know, BJ Novak is a terrific writer. You may remember him from, he, he acted, uh, and, uh, wrote on the office with, yes. with, uh, Steve Carell, yes. right. And the U S version of the office. And, uh, so this film, uh, is really well done and well written and there is some very funny moments it's it, i would classify it as a dramedy ah uh, yes you know and i tell you i recommend anyone out there who's interested in getting some laughs and seeing a really interesting film uh it also stars uh uh ashton kushner Kush, kushner yeah a a ashton kushner uh, and it's just a really great cast of people, uh, great characters. And I have to tell you, this was a, uh, a home run, a plus movie. As far as I'm concerned, you should check it out. It's in movie theaters. It opened this weekend. Um, I like BJ Novak, by the way. I yeah, mean, he was he, great in saving terrific. Mr. Banks. And, and you know, he not only, uh, uh, wrote and directed, but he stars in it. Oh, so, awesome. uh, really well done. Great. Um, Aside from that, I watched The Day the Music Died, which was a documentary on uh, Don McLean's American Pie song. Uh, and that was on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Uh, and I have to tell you, I did subscribe to Paramount Plus uh -huh. finally. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So this is a terrific documentary. Everybody knows the song American Pie. Bye, 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 Miss American Pie. Uh, and, uh, this documentary really unpacks that song and, and for the first time it's, it's the 50th anniversary of the song. It's really the first time that Don McLean really talks about the lyrics and wh how, what he was thinking about and dispels a lot of the, the mythology that's been out there, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, the, the jester and the thorny crown and, you know, the king and all of these references uh -huh. in, in the lyrics, he actually tells you what he was thinking. And so, you know, the jester isn't Bob Dylan, you know, yeah. and uh, the king is not Elvis and, you know, all of those kinds of things. It was really awesome. a terrific documentary. We really enjoyed it. He's also, also a snazzy dresser. Yeah, he's also What's a snazzy, that? he's also a snazzy dresser. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So um, very fascinating. Uh, takes you, by the way, it takes you back to Clear Lake, uh, Iowa. I think it is uh -huh. uh, where uh, uh, Buddy Holly, uh, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, uh, their plane crashed. Yeah. Uh, and there's a there's a memorial in that uh, that farm field and all of that. Um, so really, that was worth seeing. I really enjoyed it. Um, we watched. The Last Movie Stars, 
Uh, we watched two episodes. It's a six-part documentary. We watched two of the, the first two episodes. It's directed by Ethan Hawke, uh, and it's about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, the last wow. movie stars. Uh, and it's really about their entire life. Uh, and I, I have to say, I'm a little disappointed so far. Oh, no. Because, because it feels like the documentary is about Ethan Hawke. I mean, he's on camera so much. Oh. And, you know, it just, he, I want to, I want to see Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And I kind of felt like after the second episode, Nancy and I looked at each other and said, he should have watched Amy Palmer's, uh, 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 documentary on uh lucille ball and ricky sure. ricardo yeah you know which yeah. was terrific yeah. anyway we're gonna finish watching it but that's been a little bit of a disappointment so far uh, finish watching season three of succession on hbo max that was terrific uh finished stranger things the final episodes that uh -huh. was uh awesome to see it wrap up uh, -huh. uh i did feel like the last episode felt like there were multiple endings and it went on and on and on a little bit. And I think they could have broken. It was like a two and a half hour episode. I think they could have broken it up into three episodes. Ooh, yeah, It's a lot. So anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. I can't and wait so, to get and, there. And, and, and by the way, you're going to love this Al John, because <laughs> since I subscribed to Paramount plus I have watched uh, like four or five episodes of uh, Star Trek strange new worlds. Okay. So, and, and, and so I'm, I'm liking it. You know, I, okay. I think the first episode was a little bit like uh, it always is on the so, new series. The yeah. first episode is always, you got to slog through it. A little plot but, plotting. Yeah. But I really like the fact that they bring back uh, Christopher Pike. Yeah. Uh, and, and for real hardcore Star Trek fans, I don't need to tell you, but you know, Christopher Pike from uh, the original series in the 1960s, he was a fellow captain to uh, uh, um, uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. in the wheelchair. He, he was, he, yeah, he was the original uh, captain of the enterprise. Yes. Beep one for yes. Beep two for no. Beep, <laughs> beep, beep. Yeah, there, there <laughs> and then, and then finally, uh, you know, if, if you love art and you love seeing people create art, uh, there's a series uh, on Netflix called blown away. Yeah. Season season three has dropped. I think I've talked about this in the past. Uh -huh. This is a glass blowing competition uh, where they start out with, you know, so many glass blowers and every week they have a competition and, you know, somebody wins the competition and they send somebody home from the competition and they whittle the group down to the final two to find out who's going to be the season champion. And I have to tell you, it's absolutely fascinating. Glass blowing is one of those uh, arts and one of those crafts that I want to try sometime. I, I, Nancy and I both have talked about this over the years. At some point, we're going to go take a like week long class someplace in the country uh, and learn how to blow glass. Uh, and create something out of glass that we're going to do it. Not that I'm going to become a glass artist, but I just want to try it. I want to, I want to know how it's done and I want to have a hands-on experience with it. So we did one. Uh-huh. 
And you got to make sure it's a constant breath. It's almost like, have you ever if you played an instrument like a horn or something like that? No, no, but I'm, it's like a bagpipes. It's like bagpipes, yes. It's got to be circulating air going, It's got to right? be, you know, you got to have the circulating air. But more importantly than that, as you start, uh, you can't be inconsistent with the type of breath you put in. And you've seen that in the docu- in the in the show, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's just really important that you have constant breath and because it's going to shape how, how you blow. Cause we, we did one on a cruise. We, we did one of these cruises where they did a seminar on that and it's absolutely fascinating. And it, it, it really quickly, uh, you know, solidifies and, and it breaks super easy, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, uh, but it's, it is fascinating. And I did see that, uh, that, that show on Netflix. It looks very fascinating. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a terrific series. So I, I highly recommend it. So there, uh, I'm a smattering of stuff this past week that, awesome. uh, uh, we got to watch. Uh, so, uh, there you have it. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, for me, like I said, very thin because we're, we're literally just devouring, uh, the next season of stranger things. And so, I'm so glad. Like I said last week, I got Kristen into watching the show, so she's all into it. She's like going to tell her, you know, her parents, "Oh, you've got to watch this." And uh, you know, this is great. Mother-in-law is like a big fan of sci-fi, so we're we're going through that, and then also saw, you know, the the, the penultimate episode of the Orville, which is now going to be on Disney Plus, which is amazing. So, uh, yeah, everything's good on that end. So I'm looking forward to seeing the last episode this week of uh, the Orville. Hopefully they're going to be greenlit for another uh, season now that they're on Disney Plus. I'm hoping that's the direction they're leaning toward. Yeah. So, you know, I I would think if they picked it up on Disney Plus, there's going to be another season or two. I would I would think so. I would think so, because the show's too good. The show's yeah. too good. It's not that juvenile humor anymore. So I'm very excited about that. Well, uh, once again, let us know what you're streaming. Let us know, and uh, maybe we'll add it to our watch list and discuss it for a future episode. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. All right, Dave. Looks like uh, we have another animated box office. I guess it's not necessarily a hit, but uh, it's doing pretty well, all things considered. The DC League of Super Pets uh, opens on the lower end of expectations, but it's still, I think, on top at $23 million. Um, I guess it's okay. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but of course, Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, pulled in an estimated $9.3 million plus on Friday, another $2.2 million in thir- Thursday previews. Of course, the Super Pets is literally about all the pets of the Justice League. So Superman's got a pet and uh, Batman's got a pet. Wonder Woman's got a pet and they're all there uh, trying to do good there. Uh, and of course, that's going to be followed up by the Elvis biopic as well as Thor Love and Thunder and Jordan Peele's Nope, which is still on my watch list. I can't wait to see that. And uh, there you have it, Dave. I mean, it's a little soft right now toward uh, moving into August. So, yeah, no, it, it is. But you know what? Next weekend, I am so looking forward to Bullet Train, yeah. uh, which is the Brad Pitt uh, star that's opening on August 5th. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm going to see that in IMAX. As you should. 
Yeah. <laughs> as you should. Uh, that should, uh, as we say, put butts in seats. Brad Pitt is is one of those still, you know, huge Hollywood movie stars. So. Yeah. And, and I do think that it, it seems like it's slowing down a little bit on big movies opening. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? It, it just yeah. feels that way. And I have to say, you know, I talked about Vengeance as, as a movie that I went to see. I was kind of surprised when I watched that movie that they opened it uh, this weekend as opposed to holding it until the fall. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think this is a movie that uh, deserves uh, some awards consideration. Uh, I get it. Th- that It's that good, I think. You know? Wow. Okay, well that that's good to know. Uh, another one to put on the old watch list, if you will. Uh, someone who's been a mover and shaker as of late, and I apologize, I'm a little congested. So, uh, Sylvester Stallone doubles down on Rocky ownership complaints over Drago spinoff. MGM is developing a new film about Rocky Balboa's previous foe, Ivan Drago, which received Stallone's ire over the standing of the boxing franchise. I thought he owned the rights considering he penned all the Rocky movies. Did he not? Yeah. You know, I thought he did too. And I'm a little surprised by this and he deserves to have a piece of the pie. I mean, you know, he was the guy that created this. So this is one of those situations where, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how this unfolds. Oh yes. Uh, Interesting. Uh, I guess Stallone had put a uh, something on social media saying, I'm sorry to the fans. I apologize to the fans. I never wanted Rocky to be exploited for this greed. Hashtag no shame. Hashtag sad, sad day. Hashtag parasite. <laughs> uh, that wow. is some serious stuff. I mean, for one, I can tell you that I am a big fan of Creed. And I know that there's going to be a new Creed uh, coming to the box office soon. I'm a big fan of Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And I like Creed a lot. Saw the first two, and they were absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed the Rocky Balboa movie that uh, that came out as well. Maybe, I guess at this point, maybe it was eight years ago. Yeah. But uh, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is something and else. Li- listen, I mean, Rocky is a classic movie franchise. Yeah. Uh, and the original Rocky is fantastic, but the sequels are great, uh, uh, I think, you know, and they're great because it's still Sylv- Sylvester Stallone, yeah. you know? And so, uh, you know, I hope, I, I hope this gets worked out behind the scenes so that this kind of, you know, uh, skirmish that's happening in, in the press doesn't start to tarnish the franchise. You know, I really think that, you know, Stallone is Rocky and Stallone should be part of all of this. Yeah. And I think uh, Ryan Coogler did a great job of including those little bits from the Rocky original Rocky and having Sylvester Stallone have involvement in it uh, with the new Creed films, because once again, I think it's just taking that story to the next level. And I have to say, I know that that Stallone was involved in the first two Creed films. I read someplace he's probably not going to be on screen in the third one. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, it might be. It might be that part of that storytelling, but uh, only time will tell. Yeah. Now, speaking of another great story, it seems like uh, Del Toro's take on Pinocchio with a teaser trailer had just dropped. Er, er, uh, Ewan McGregor's Cricket introduced a story of loss and love. Dave, have you seen this trailer? I did see this trailer. And and I have to say, 
I'm I'm a little bit on the fence about some of the character designs, but I can't wait to see this because I love stop motion. Uh gotcha. And 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 I think the trailer is terrific. Uh and like I said, you know, look, the original Pinocchio that Disney did is my favorite classic golden age Disney animated feature. Uh-huh. You know, it is a masterpiece of animation, a traditional 2D animation. It's a masterpiece of a film. It's a work of art in my book. Um, and so I have to try and push that aside in order to see these other interpretations. And so that's why I said I'm a little bit on the fence on some of the character designs I saw in the trailer, but I'm not going to let that affect me because overall I really enjoyed the trailer and I really like stop motion. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. Check this out. Voice cast includes Christopher Waltz, a uh, longtime collaborator, Ron Perlman, you know, know him from Hellboy and Guillermo del Toro, Finn Wolford, John Turturro, Tim Blake Belson, and Bern Gorman. And, uh, I guess it's slated for a theatrical release in November. You know what that means? Uh, award season. And then advance of its December debut on Netflix. So there you have it. And of course, there's a Disney Plus version of it coming as well in September. So the right. battle of the and two that's Pinocchios. The one with, uh, with Tom Hanks. One with Tom Hanks. There you yeah. Go. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. You know, yeah. I, I think Pinocchio is a great story. Uh, and I want to see these different interpretations. Absolutely. Now, Christopher Nolan, back into it. Universal briefs teaser for his new film, Oppenheimer. Uh, this is your moment, a voice says over images of uh, Cillian Murphy's title character who helped develop the atomic bomb. This looks like an interesting uh, movie. It, it really does. You know, I watched the trailer when it dropped, so I watched it on my computer. But when I was at the movie theater the other day to see Vengeance, they ran the trailer on the big screen. And I have to tell you, Cillian Murphy, great actor. Uh, you know, he's... Uh, um, uh, he's in the series uh, Peaky Blinders, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, he was in uh, Dunkirk, which I think was that Dunkirk was a Christopher Nolan movie, yes. wasn't it? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And and he actually, Cillian Murphy was in Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to see that. This is an all-star cast. Uh, Kenneth Branauer, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, uh, Remy uh, Malik, uh, just, uh, you know, Jack Quaid. Uh, If if you remember Jack Quaid, he's in uh, The Boys. Yep. Uh, And he's uh, the son of Dennis Quaid and uh, 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 her name is slipping my mind. Uh, uh, Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan, yeah, son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan, Jack Quaid. He's in a Matthew Modine, who we've recently seen in Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Uh, you know, this is just an incredible cast, and this is an incredible story, and and it's being told by an incredible director. I mean, yeah. Christopher Nolan, you know, in my mind, can do no wrong. Yeah, 
I think this is going to be great. It's based on the 2005 Pulitzer Prize winning book, American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedies of J. Robert Oppenheimer. So this looks to be a good one, folks. Let's go ahead and mark your calendars for its release, I guess, sometime in uh, July. Well, we'll say, hold on a second. It's already here. How about no, that? No, it's not. It's no, not? it's not. No, it didn't open yet. Oh, for some reason. No. Oh, it's in 2023. I'm sorry. I'm like July yeah, yeah. 21st. It, I'm like, it, 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 op- it opens in July of 2023. This is so what it's happens. A year, it's a year out and they're teasing us already. Oh, there you go. You see, this is what happens in my mind. I'm already working on uh, my future projects. I'm already looking at 2023. It's almost like I'm in there, <laughs> but uh, there you go. So in Saturn news, we have uh, some more celebrities that passed this week. Mary Alice, the actress in Fences and Sparkle and the Matrix Revolutions, passes away at the age of 85. And uh, a lot of people know her from uh, her Emmy Award winning performance in I'll Fly Away. And, and she also was the Oracle in uh, the Matrix movie. I love that. And, and, and you know, I have to tell you, I, I read her obituary. Just a, a, a interesting life, you know. Yeah, she was a school teacher and she got into acting like so many uh, actors have done in later years through community theater and being discovered. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, she she leaves behind, I think, uh, some uh, wonderful, wonderful projects that will live on. Absolutely. And we also have the passing of. Bert Metcalf, producer on every season of MASH, who also passes away at the age of 87 uh, after acting in Gidget, Twilight Zone, and Father of the Bride, the 13-time Emmy nominee, spent all 11 seasons on the legendary CBS comedy. And uh, a lot of people know who he is. Uh, Dave, I know you're a big MASH fan. Yeah, and and you know something, this guy, uh, I I have to tell you, I was surprised when I read his obituary because I knew his name from MASH because you saw it at the beginning of every episode, Burt Metcalf, uh, you know, writer, producer, showrunner, you know, for the entire run of MASH. And I didn't realize he was an actor before that. Yeah. And he was, uh, he had a role in, uh, the show Father of the Bride, where he pay- played the son-in-law, yeah. uh, and uh, he was in the many loves of Dobie Gillis, The Outer Limits, The Farmer's Daughter, The Fugitive, Perry Mason, uh, uh, Hennessy, and Twelve O'Clock High. Uh, really, uh, what an amazing career and an amazing life! Uh, it just, and he was a Canadian. I, I want to just throw that out uh, to all of our friends uh, north of the border here. There you go. There you go. Another legend in the industry, Tony Dow, who played Wally Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver, passes away at 77, confirmed by his reps. Once again, another uh, character, another actor that uh, I grew up watching in syndicated reruns forever. Leave it to Beaver, one of my favorite shows. And uh, it is a sad day for sure. 
You know, and I, I have to say, uh, you know, here's an example of a child actor who went on to great success. Uh, aside from doing the Leave it to Beaver series, he continued to act, but he also went behind the camera and he directed lots of episodes. Uh, he was a visual effects supervisor. And that's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, you know, he worked on uh, shows uh, uh, like... Uh, uh, Babylon five and Star Trek uh, deep space nine. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, you know, really incredible career. Uh, you know, after he passed away, Al John, I have to tell you, I found a 15 minute interview with him at a uh, sort of fan comic convention in Silicon Valley from, yeah. I think four or five years ago. Uh, and I watched the whole 15 minutes and you know what my takeaway was? What's that? In, he he just seemed like an incredibly nice guy and very grounded. Wow, you know, well, you and uh, and I have to say, you know, Hollywood uh, sometimes chews up and spits out child actors, and you know they they have you know terrible lives after their you know moment of fame. Uh, you know, and the one that comes to mind on the Disney front is Bobby Driscoll. There you go. You know, uh, which is a very, very sad story. Uh, but I have to tell you, uh, watching that interview with Tony Dow just seemed grounded, you know, ha had a terrific uh, career, uh, both in front of and behind the camera, uh, has a has a wonderful family, uh, you know, and nobody spoke badly about him. Uh, he just, uh, again, all that knew him. Uh, spoke so fondly of him as just being a nice guy. Yeah. You know, Dow, uh, Dow and Mathers both reunited to do a 83 TV made for TV film called still the beaver, which I did see when I was growing uh -huh. up. And then also a revival series on the Disney channel for four seasons that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. You know? A little bit of a Disney tie in there, but uh, once again, he will be missed, Tony Dow. And how can you forget the announcer saying Tony Dow? You know, on uh, Leave It <laughs> and to Tony Beaver. Dow as yeah. Wally. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. But you know, a, a great body of work that's left behind, uh, and he will be remembered for many years to come. Uh, just because, you know, the Leave It to Beaver series has been in reruns for like you know sixty plus years. Exactly. Someplace in the world, it's playing all the time. That that is true. That's right. Nick at night or whatever, wherever they're they're yeah. showing at TV Land for sure. And now it's time to jump into our interview with Imagineer Tanya McKnight Norris. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, once again, we have a fantastic guest. We have Tanya McKnight Norris, a former Imagineer who had everything to do with the New Orleans Square, Haunted Mansion, and much more while she was an Imagineer with uh, the Walt Disney Company. And I want to welcome uh, Tanya to Tanya, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I, I have to say, I, I find your entire background really fascinating because you were born in Scotland. You were educated in London. You lived in Zimbabwe. 
which used to be Southern Rhodesia, for those out there who are too young to remember that country, uh, Southern Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. Uh, you are not only an Imagineer, but you are a botanical artist. And we're going to get into all of that stuff. But I want to start at the beginning with you, Tanya, and ask you how you found your way into interior design. I started to think about designing houses when I was about eight years old and decided that's what I wanted to do. And so when I left school at 15, I, I took on an apprenticeship in London. I actually was born in Scotland and educated in both Scotland and England. But uh, my first job was in London and it was in a, a very interesting place where we served people like the Queen, Queen Mother, or the Queen Mary at that time. This is back in the 1950s. And I, the training was an apprenticeship in various parts of the building, which had uh, oh, fabrics and furniture and antiques and everything you can think of. And then I became an assistant interior designer at a very early age. My family then moved to Southern Rhodesia because of my father's job. And again, I worked in, uh, in interiors and uh, traveled to three countries to do houses. I then became an air hostess and I feel I walked all over Africa on DC-3s, which were unpressurized. And then uh, my, I did get married. I married a Scot and we returned to Great Britain. And I went into more or less the antique field. And then my husband's asked to come to Los Angeles, 1963. And a year later, and a friend who had an antique shop said, I've heard of a job for you. And I said, oh, forget it. I had started my own small company. And she said, no, this is with the, uh, Walt Disney. And it's to work on a project from the, 19, uh, from the 1880s in New Orleans. So out of curiosity, I applied. And I'd not been to Disneyland. So my husband and I went to Disneyland. We did a very brief tour of Disneyland. I had an interview on a Wednesday with the... Um, John Hench, Dick Irvine, and Bob Brown, who was Walt Disney's son-in-law. I had a second interview on the Thursday with Emil Curry, John Hench, and Bob Brown. Friday, they called to say uh, I had the job, and I leant back in my chair and said, what have I done? Because I really <laughs> was surprised. Because I had uh, no portfolio. I had three or four letters of recommendations from around the world, but nothing else. But I think it was my training in traditional design that really put it over the top because very few people in the 1950s thought much about that. And I'm sure that that was part of the reason they hired me. My first project was New Orleans Square. And I was very fortunate that six months later or so, I was asked if I could go on a trip to New Orleans. And on that trip was Walt Disney, his wife, Lily, his brother Roy, his wife Edna, uh, Sharon, the, his, one of his daughters, Walt's daughters, and Bob Brown, my immediate boss, plus Herb Ryman, John Hench, uh, Bill Evans, who did all the landscaping, and Claude Coates and several others. And uh, my job in New Orleans was to scrounge around for antiques. I was in every uh, shop in the Bookery, the old town, looking for things that we could ship back to La to Anaheim for New Orleans Square, even to bits of metal that we could replicate for the balconies. It was a fantastic trip. 
So you were actually uh, looking for authentic pieces that spoke of the sort of French colonial New Orleans uh, uh, period from the 1880s or so, uh, but, but also looking for hardware pieces that could be replicated. Is that right? That is true. Yes. And, and did you find a lot? Yes, we did. In fact, we found too much because what was left over then went into the, I think it was called the one-of-a-kind shop, if I remember correctly, but it was the antique shop in New Orleans Square. Yeah. Whatever didn't fit to where we had thought it would be uh, went there. But we also bought for the 33 Club. And so most of the furnishings or most of the antiques in the first edition of the 33 Club came from New Orleans. And... um when you say you bought a lot of stuff, can you give us some sense of the, uh, of the, the amount? Like, was it a container full of stuff? Was it three truckloads worth of stuff? You know what I mean? It's like, like you had it all shipped back to Los Angeles, right? It didn't go on the plane. I didn't have much to do with that. So I really <laughs> tell you, but we had, um, I would say it probably took half a container. We had wow. a, a lot of uh, furniture, but it was all uh, of the period. And I think that is one of the things that has made New Orleans so unusual in that it's the only part of Disneyland really that isn't really fantasy. And yet the detailing is accurate. Yeah. Uh, Both inside and outside. Yes. And another thing that I was uh, in charge of doing was choosing the outside colorings and the lamps for all the outside. And I was amazed uh, when I saw it a few months ago that so little had changed. Yeah, they, they've just basically uh, continue to repaint the same color when they're doing touch up and, uh, and they've changed the colors, but most of it is still very similar to what I had suggested yeah. back in the 60s. And, and when you went about co- coming up with the color scheme, what were you drawing off of? Were, were you do, do, was a photographic reference you took when you went to New Orleans and historical research? How, how did you go about that? A lot of that was historical research and and some of the colors were chosen, I think, from what we saw there. There's nothing garish there. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything was very kind of subdued and uh, um, very pretty. And I think that's New Orleans. And of course, courtyards were filled with flowers and we tried to replicate that too. A lot of muted colors. Yes. Yeah. And and from, from the standpoint of of doing that, those color choices, was there, and I guess I'm trying to ask like your thought process when you're doing a section of Disneyland, like New Orleans square, are you, are you concerned with the fringes? What, what that's butting up against and would those colors blend in or is it just really a standalone for New Orleans square? I think New Orleans square stands alone really. Yeah. If you think about it, it's really quite a small area of land. Mm. And so if you had really garish colors, it would put it all out of proportion. So it was really that too taken into consideration. Just like the castle originally was muted colors because Walt wanted a forced perspective that as you walk down Main Street, it would seem to be further away. Now, with the change of colors, it's brought it much closer to you. So it's a change in aspect, change of uh, times. And and how do you feel about that? Oh, I'm an old-fashioned girl. Sometimes older is better. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, there, there, there was a rhyme and reason to it. It's just different. And it's, uh, everybody has their own ideas. Yeah. Uh, what I was so fortunate with is that everything that I did was approved by Walt. Yeah. Whether before, uh, some of it was done after he passed away, but he saw everything that I did. Yeah. And uh, that, uh, to me, is a very special uh, memory. Yeah. Now that trip you took to New Orleans, uh, that was, you were being dropped off in New Orleans. It was a group that, right. That was going to be left in New Orleans while Walt and some of the Imagineers went to, uh, some of the NASA facilities and then came back. That's true. There were a couple of days that they were away, but when Walt was there, I would go to his suite in the mornings and tell him where I was going, what I was doing or what I'd seen the day before. And uh, he would, we would chat about that for a few minutes before I took off. And then we would meet for lunch and then uh, dinner at different restaurants. And he wanted particularly me because I had not been out of Los Angeles since I'd come to arrived in America. He wanted me to get the feel of New Orleans and the feel of what was there. And so it was a very fascinating trip that uh, I was able to see and be part of the whole atmosphere, yeah. uh, including going to jazz evenings and you know, just all over just to get the feel of the place. I, I'm imagining you spent some time in the French Quarter. All of my time. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And let me ask you, because I, I know our listeners are probably dying to know this. What was your impressions of Walt and what kind of a person was he just one-on-one individually? Uh, I think a lot of people see uncle Walt, how he was presented on the, you know, uh, the Disneyland show or the wonderful world of Disney show, but how was he as a, a human being? Marvelous. That's it. One word. Marvelous. Okay. <laughs> Did you? Uh, well, well, yeah. He was always so extraordinarily kind and considerate. Yeah. Just like going to New Orleans when he wanted me to appreciate and see and feel New Orleans. And by going to each restaurant or whatever it was that we did. And he was always very appreciative of what I tried to do. Uh, we also went from New Orleans to Florida, where it was called Project X. It was a hole in the ground. And Bill Evans had imported to that area trees from around the world, which he was hardening off in, in Florida, so that when Walt Disney World was built, they would be ready to be just transplanted. And there again, he included me in everything. When we arrived in New York for the second World of the World Fair, I stayed in the same hotel and I was there at meals with them. And each again, each meal was in a different restaurant, so I would get to know New York. And he insisted that the chauffeur went a different route every day to the World Fair so that I could see New York. And on the last evening in New York, everybody else had gone home and there was Walt and Lily and uh, Bob and Sharon and myself at dinner, where he told stories about coming to New York to try and sell Mickey Mouse films. And it was, I wish I'd had a tape recorder. Oh, yeah. I didn't. And, uh, you know, it's 60 years ago. Sure, sure. But he was always very kind and considerate to me. Uh, He would come in the back door of, uh, 
WED Enterprises, Walt E. Disney Enterprises, WED Enterprises, which is where I worked. I was never at the studio. And uh, my office was right there, my place I worked. And he'd come up and say, what are you, what are you doing today? And I'd show him, I like that. And he'd wander away. Yeah. That was the kind of relationship that I had with Walt. Yeah. And there was nothing but kindness and consideration. Did you find him to be a very curious individual? Did, did he, was he somebody who asked a lot of questions about things that you were working on or yes. why you were doing something a certain way? Yes, he, he liked to know and he liked to put his, his um, approval on things. And he, he would talk when we would do a presentation with the storyboards. I mean, he knew what we were, he was looking at. And if he didn't, he would ask questions. And I remember one instance for the 33 Club the drawings to me had a very small ladies room and we just had a rather overweight queen of Tonga at the park. And so I had said to uh, uh, John Hench and Bob Brown, perhaps we should have a larger ladies room because she would really truthfully wouldn't have fitted too well in there. Yeah. And they said, well, yes, you know, we have to get Walt's approval. So I'm waiting for them to say something and say something and, they didn't, and suddenly I'm left alone with Walt. They disappeared. And this happened to others as well. <laughs> and so I said, Mr. Disney, and he said, I've told you time and time again, please call me Walt. I said, you know, I'm British. I find it so hard. <laughs> anyway, Walt, we have a, a very small ladies' room in this 33 Club. Uh, I really feel that it could be, it should be a little larger. And he looked at it with, you know, his hands on his hips as he would, his usual pose. He looked up, he said, that the office up there next to it? And I said, yes, it is. He said, well, half the office. And that was it. So we wow. got more the ladies' room. And that's all you needed, right? There, were, there was no committee uh, to, to discuss anything. Walt just said, we're going to do it this way. And everybody said, okay. Yes, that was it. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so great. I, you know, I had heard stories from, you know, uh, Claude and uh, some of the other uh, Imagineers over the years when, when I've had the opportunity to sit and talk with some of them that Walt liked to wander around Imagineering, that he didn't really like to have, quote, formal meetings, but rather just wander up on people and see what they were tinkering with. He, he loved to, he was a hands on person. You know, his hobby at night was to go home and make uh, do woodwork. And uh, his barn, which is now in Griffith Park, that housed the Lily Bell, he had his own workbench there that he would potter with woodmaking tools, make furniture and all kinds of things. So he was a potterer and he really liked to be hands-on and understand what people were trying to, to do. And it, with me, it was very simple because I'm doing interiors. Yeah. And, uh, but he was still very intrigued and very interested and uh, liked to know the history of things. And uh, and because of that curiosity, um, uh, was it more about him just uh, uh, educating himself in the in some of these areas and really trying to understand the thinking of artists like yourself and, and the other folks working at Imagineering? And, and uh, he seemed to have like an overall view, but the the you know the details, the actual design work he was leaving to the experts, but was hands on with it, right? Exactly. And, and he always wanted attention to detail. And I think as 
you've heard, I'm sure, time and time again. I believe that's what made Disneyland so popular because, uh, and I've said this at other meetings, that Disneyland to me is not for the children. Leave the magic of Disneyland to the children. But grown-ups, go with your eyes open and realize how much talent and work has gone in to make the buildings the scale they are, to make the vistas the way they are, the detailing, the colors that all have a purpose. It's not just by accident. And grown-ups, if they are aware, can really be awed by the amount of work and detailing that they can see. And the little things, how many people look at the names and the, the uh, professions that are painted on the windows? Right, right. You know, there's so much there. Yeah. Tiny little details that make it what it is. Yeah. And, and you, 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 you did New Orleans Square and then you also did, uh, uh, you worked on the Expo 67 in Montreal. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I, and I, I may jump around a little bit because you did New Orleans Square. Then you did some stuff with the, the early uh, Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, and, but the expo 67 in Montreal happens. And then of course we'll get to the haunted mansion because the haunted mansion's 1969. So I'm trying to go in almost chronological order if I can. (laughs) Well, you've got to, you've done your research. I didn't, truthfully, I don't remember having that much to do with the expo, but I was there. Uh, a group of us went to the plane load of WED personnel went to the expo. And on that trip, I remember very well, it was really crump and we were allowed to take our wives and husbands or husbands. And uh, it was an incredible trip. Rolly Crump and his wife, uh, Dorothea Redmond, who was a very dear friend of mine and her husband, Harry. There was Teehee and his wife and Herb Bryman was there. Uh, I, th- I believe Claude Coates and his wife were there, myself and my husband. And uh, I think quite a few others, but it was a a, really a training tour because as you know, Walt went to expos, he went to exhibitions, he went and he brought back thoughts that may not have materialized for some years, but he had this incredible memory bank that he could pull out things years later to make something for Disneyland or one of the other areas that we worked on. Um, so I don't remember doing very much in the actual work area there, but it certainly was an eye opener and it was so totally different to the world fair that it, uh, left an impression. And, and I, I, I've often said, and, and by the way, I was very fascinated. You said Teehee, Teehee was one of my instructors at Cal arts. Oh, so I knew T I knew Teehee and he was a wonderful man. Oh, uh, yeah. He was really, really lovely. Um, I think I met his wife once, uh, but, but, but T T was, was terrific. Um, uh, I've often talked about this and and I actually put uh, a couple of uh, chapters in the Claude Coates book that I did, uh, but it's about these research trips or these, I call them research trips. Like if you went to the Expo 67 in Montreal, it was to experience the Expo and to uh, really see things that you might not normally see. And as you said, Walt 
pulled those things out of his head for different, you know, aspects of uh, the park. Uh, when you do those kinds of trips, uh, obviously he wasn't on the Expo 67 trip. He had already passed away, but um, I just, I, 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 I find it important to do those kinds of research trips. And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about that kind of a thing. Like you went to new Orleans and you went to Montreal, it, it, those types of trips are important for artists. I think so, too. And the trip to the World Fair was very important to me because I had not experienced New York at all. And it was really my first VIP trip also where we were because Walt was there. We were treated as VIPs. And uh, I can remember, to be honest, being a little embarrassed that I was walking past all these long lines of people. And, uh, you know, I'm just trotting behind everybody. But uh, it was really a very exciting trip because that was the second year and there were little bits of tweaking that needed to be done. But it was my first experience of being uh, at the World Fair and seeing the exhibitions. The, uh, they used my hands, actually, for the women audio-animatronic uh, figures. And uh, they're still being used as far as I understand. Did they did they do wax casts of your hands? A kind of uh, plastic cast, uh-huh. and then they blew it off with an air gun, and I had bruises for a couple of weeks. And I got a fifty dollars for do for allowing them to do that. And Mitzi Chandler, Mitzi, yes, Mitzi Chandler, I think it was. She was a secretary to Neil McClure, the attorney at Wed. Uh, they did the same to her for her legs, but she got a hundred dollars for hers. And wow. I knew that was okay. Her legs were longer than my hands. <laughs> that's that's so terrific. It, it, it's amazing. I think back in the day uh, uh, when, uh, you know, like, cause Claude, Claude designed the uh, Caterpillar ride vehicle for the Alice in Wonderland attraction at Disneyland. And he wound up getting a patent and, uh, and they gave him, you know, $10 to turn the patent over to the company. So <laughs> I, I think, I think those, those were the days, right? <laughs> Well, I got, when I started, I got $125 a week. Mm. And uh, after three months, they gave me a raise to 135 So I thought I must be doing something right. That's, that's think, a, that, after five years, I think I got it up to $175 a week. So uh, that, That's so amazing. I, I'm curious, what, what did your husband do? He was an engineer. Oh, okay. So, but he never worked for Disney. No. No, but but he he, he certainly globe trotted with you. Uh, only to Montreal. Only to Mon- yeah, but I mean, uh, you you guys moved down to uh, uh, Southern Rhodesia, now Zambia, uh, for his his engineering career. Is that correct? No, no, not quite. But it was my father that we moved to Southern Rhodesia, now oh, Zimbabwe. Okay, and uh, I met my husband there who had uh, come from Scotland some years before. And we met at Scottish Country Dancing. Wow. So, yeah. but it was a little side, little side note there. Uh, I was just curious. So, uh, so you, you felt right at home being working with, with engineers and artists. Yes. Uh, at, at Imagineering. And I also uh, felt at home coming to Southern California because the climate and terrain 
and vegetation are very similar to southern Rhodesia or Zimbabwe. Is that right? So, so it's a, it's a more arid climate. Yes, and things like the uh, acarandas, jacarandas, and uh, hibiscus, uh, all the subtropical plants. Because Rhodesia is on a, or Zimbabwe is on a five thousand foot plateau. Ah, so so you didn't. I mean, you had hot weather, but it was moderate. There, yes, very similar to here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after, obviously, after uh, you did uh, New Orleans Square and you went on the Montreal trip, um, when did you start actually working on the Haunted Mansion? Well, I did many, many things in between. I worked on the redo of the Plaza Inn shortly after I started. And uh, the coral wallpaper, I think, was one of my suggestions. And I worked on many of the shops on Main Street. Anything that needed an interior, I, that was my job. We only had one interior designer. And you were it. I was it. Yeah. yeah. And, and the shops on Main Street during that period, they were transitioning from uh, leasees, uh, individual uh, businesses that uh, Walt leased the space to, to Disneyland-owned shops. And That's so, correct. Yeah, but also, even if they were leased, like the Bank of America, we still got involved in the interiors. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was the one that suggested that we take photographs of the CEOs, the brothers of the B of A, the Bank of America, and give them Victorian costumes so that we could put them in the bank, that type of thing. Um, I worked on uh, Mr. Lincoln, the interiors for that, mm-hmm. and uh, everything at the, the uh, park at that time. I, 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 because you were involved with the stores, I, I have to ask this question. Uh, what, what did you think of a bra shop on Main Street? I, it, I don't think it was there when I was there. That must have been earlier. Okay, so it was already gone by the time you got there. Okay, all right. We just, the, yeah. Uh, curious for the uh, C and H sugar. Uh huh. And uh, some of the artifacts that I put up on the shelves. I saw in the window of the uh, the store when I was there about three four months ago. So I was happy to see that they survived even yeah. in the same area. And those were authentic. Oh yes, they were all all. Uh, one of them was a um, a gun that you used in a beehive that you would pump the uh, gas into the beehive. Wow. I'm not sure if they still do that, but that's still there. Oh, yeah, that's the 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 little smoke gun. Yes, the little smoke gun. The little smoke gun to kind of like corral or herd the uh, the bees. Uh, yeah, wow. The reason I brought in there was a pickle barrel where you got your own pickle for, I think, a dollar or something or other. And I, I know I suggested to C&H that they uh, bring in their colored sugar, which they weren't, they just produced, started to produce. And so there are a lot of things, small details that uh, I got involved with that uh, they were just part of the job and part of the fun. I mean, it wasn't, it was done as a group. Most of our work, we yeah. didn't sign anything. We didn't take credit for it. It was just done as a group and it was needed to be done. So you did it. Yeah, and, you know, that's very much like doing an animated film. I mean, it's a group of artists that get together and production people and you create this movie. Uh, I, I always 
felt it was similar at Imagineering, where it was a group of engineers, artists, and you know, production people that all got together to do an attraction. Um, but the artwork that gets generated during those things. I know people, you know, didn't sign stuff uh, at the studio, either in animation or in Imagineering. But from a historical standpoint, it would have been nice for people to put their initials or something on it, you know. It would have made life easier. Yeah. The, the people that I worked mostly with were Dorothea Redmond mm-hmm. and uh, Bob Brown, John Hench and uh, Herb Ryman. And Dorothea Redmond to me is one of the most incredible people that you could meet. I, I was in awe. She was a very dear friend, as was Herb Ryman. But Dorothea, you could be describing something, and as you're describing it, she is actually producing it on paper. And it was just like magic. Uh, I, Before I went to a WED, I had uh, taken architectural, I could uh, do architectural drawings and, and uh, renderings. But once I went to WED and I saw the talent there, I said, no, no way, no how. These people are way above my pay grade. (laughs) And it was. They were all just so incredible talent. It it was amazing to work with. And they were all wonderful people. I know know when when John was still around, uh, they did get him into uh, the animation research library to identify what story sketches he did for Destino, the project he worked with uh, Salvador Dali on. And and I'm curious, have you ever gone back to Imagineering, to to the... Um, uh, their archive and, and and looked over stuff. Now, is I I really think that that's hugely important uh, for I, for I, artists I, to identify their work. I haven't. They uh, invited me to wed just before COVID, and I spent an entire there day there being shown around wed as it is now, or Imagineering as it is now. And when I started, we were in a little house in the corner of Sonora. And Airway, I think it was. Yeah. And then they bought the uh, CoverGirl cosmetic building. I think it was CoverGirl. And we moved around the corner onto Flower Street, 1701 Flower Street. And that was the headquarters for quite a long time. And then, of course, they started to buy up other properties. Yeah. And it was totally amazing to go to that campus. I think they now have 63 or I guess it could change. Well, when I went there, I think they had 63 interior people, interior designers. Really? That many? Wow. A lot of projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's something else. I was stunned. <laughs> Did, is, your still, is your office still there or is it gone? No. Well, yes, it is. It's now the president's office. Oh, okay. Very nice. And one of the things I did, I was walking down a hallway. I said, oh, there's my photograph. And there's a photograph of Bob Brown and myself in the restaurant, in the coffee shop, cafeteria. And I would put on art shows in there. I would ask the people at WED to bring in some art. Uh, Claude Coates, Herb Ryman, John Hench, anybody, everybody that was an artist that had their own, did their own work at home. I held exhibitions and some of them were for sale. I actually bought a Claude Coates there for $25. Wow. I still have. Wow. And uh, so, and there's this photograph. Nobody knew who the people in the, in the photograph were. So I was able to take, that's me. That is Bob Brown and that's uh, George Reston. So. 
that, that I, I, I just think that kind of, you know, identifying people in photos and all of that kind of stuff is so hugely important, it is. you know? And there's really, some untold stories also about the people who work there. Yeah. I mean, I know you did the Claude Coates book and there's one a very nice book by of Herb Ryman, her, um, Bob Gurr has a book and Brody yeah. has a book and there are several others, but there are so many people that deserve books to have books written about them. Like you, you deserve to have a book done. I don't think so. I, I, mean, I, I, I really believe so. Well, minion uh, there. I really, uh, uh, I'm amazed that people even want to hear my story because I would mention various Ryman arts affairs that, uh, and I was been a sponsor there since started and before that with DAFCO. But uh, I would say, well, I worked with Walt and I worked at WED in the 1960s. And nobody picked up on it until about three years ago. And it was uh, Garner Holt who, of the audio an- animatronic fame. Yeah. Picked up on it and he said, would you like to have lunch with me at the Club 33? And I said, I'd love it. I designed it or helped to design it. And his mouth kind of dropped and he said, oh, really? So it had just been redone for the, I think the third time. Yeah. Totally different to when I did it, but uh, that was my introduction to being asked to speak anywhere. And, uh, and how did that feel? I find it, maybe I shouldn't say that. I find it a little strange. Do you really, why? why? Tell me why. Well, it was just a job. And I find it very interesting that people are out there and so many podcasts, so many articles, so many th- millions, apparently, of fans. Uh, but I find it very strange that I'm part of that. Um, I'm just a, um, you know, I, I'm a quiet person. I mean, yes, I've done a lot of things. And yes, I've traveled a lot. Uh, and I've done many, many things. But I don't do it with any splurge of, hey, look what I've done. I'm not that, that sure. kind of person. So I find it very strange that I'm requested to talk. Al John? As a fan, we love <laughs> hearing the stories. You know, you were integral at, at such great places. You know, my wife and I have been lucky enough to eat at Club 33 several times and to see that that your work is still there to see the, the wallpaper in the haunted mansion and all the decorations there, New Orleans square and main street USA. I mean, it's just a, a, one of these things where the stories must be told and preserved for future generations. And I just am so delighted to hear that, that um, you're so humble and modest about it, but these stories need to be told and we're so uh, glad that you're able to tell them. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I'm able to tell them too. in some respects, because, um, Oh, maybe a lady shouldn't tell her age, but I'll be 85 next month. And uh, to be able to do the things that I do and have the memory, I, I'm very fortunate. So, Well, you look fantastic for 85, I have to tell you. Happy you early could, birthday. You could, you, it looks like you could probably throw a few back with my mother, who's going <laughs> to turn 92 at the end of the year. You know, and uh, she she uh, she's very uh, vibrant and active and out there doing stuff. So um, but let, let me just go back to um, uh, this notion of uh, you find it strange. Uh, I think and, and, you know, I worked on a lot of animated films during the sort of second golden age of Disney animation. And I think that really what it boils down to is when you're in the moment doing a project, 
like New Orleans Square or the Haunted Mansion or, you know, whatever it is, it is a job. That's what you're looking at. You're doing a job, but you don't realize until after you've done it, the impact that it has on all of these people that visit Disneyland or see a movie that you worked on. And, and, and that to me is, is the magic of it. I think uh, is to look at that and go, I worked on that and look at the millions of people who've gotten joy out of it. I don't think any of Well, no one I know of ever thought that way. I mean, we were just completing a project. Right. I mean, this, the purple wallpaper, for instance, um, until I spoke out on, on an interview, nobody apparently knew who had designed it. And I happened to say very casually, well, I designed the wallpaper in the Haunted Mansion. And it's one of the only two things that I can remember actually designing and could say I designed it. One was a tray for the Plaza Inn, which has disappeared long ago. And the other was a purple wallpaper. And I can remember sitting at my desk kind of doodling. And there is thoughts, and it could well be true because I don't remember it, though is that it was based on something that Roly Crump drew. Yeah. And, uh, but it is different to what I remember the first wallpaper looking like. It was much more of an ethereal eye with, with kind of vapors growing up for it. And I really don't think I put little owls on it. So maybe I shouldn't be claiming fame to that, but claiming that. But uh, I happen to say, well, I did the wallpaper and I can remember standing in front of it the first time I saw it on the wall and said, hmm, I designed that. And was really proud of that. And that uh, has stuck in my mind all these many years. Uh, Haunted Mansion was a fun project for me because I didn't have anything to do with special effects. But I was allowed to go out and find this, all the stuff for the, for the attic, all that junk. That was great. I loved that. Uh, it's mostly gone now, but um, a lot of it did come from attics. And the, of friends that I knew, yeah. what do you have in your attic? I need some junk. And, <laughs> and, and, and literally you, you're just collecting pieces that just had a vibe to them that, that you looked at and said, well, that, that'll fit. I put some cobwebs on it. It'll look fantastic. Would that have been in your attic? Would that have been, you know, if the, when you were finished with a baby's pram, did it go in the attic? There was a ba- an antique baby's pram there. There was old trunks. There was all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, that's disappeared, or most of it seems to have disappeared. But, uh, and, and is that just the natural progression of going in and refreshing attractions? I'm just curious how you think, you know, what your thoughts are on uh, those kinds of changes happening. I think part of it is that sometimes you want to, fresh, to refresh something. Part of it is different personnel want to put their mark on something. And uh, part of it is sometimes people just have a new idea and uh, want to put that out there. It's, it's not to say it's wrong. It's just different. Yeah. I, I, I know that uh, uh, Claude had the view, uh, and I had put this in the book, um, he, he had had the view that, uh, you know, Walt had created Disneyland as this ever changing, ever evolving, uh, uh, theme park. Uh, and, and so when they were taking out an attraction, 
that Claude had worked on, uh, he was very philosophical about it, saying, well, you know, uh, it was there for a long time. People enjoyed it and it's kind of, you know, died down a little bit. And now they want to put something new in. And that's the that's sort of the changing of the park that happens. I think that's I think that is correct. At the same time, it's the changing of the park. But as long as it's not the changing of the park, just because I think it should be. I think right. there's a difference when there's something that needs to be changed because it's worn out or it's not as popular or it's past that phase of popularity that you want to do something new and different. That's great because that's where I see Walt's philosophy coming in. I don't see Walt's philosophy coming in as much as saying change the color of something or change something just because. Uh, That is where I find a little bit of um, uh, problem. With, yeah. with some of the changes. And I think some of the fans do too. Yes, absolutely. And and they speak out about it. You know, I mean, you see, you see it on the, the fan sites, blogs, podcasts, and things like that. And you I know, I, I, there's always a dust up of uh, when, when they're going to change something, but there's certain, there's certain attractions that are so iconic to the theme park, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Or, they've changed that. Yeah, or or the haunted mansion, uh, but but they've made changes. But they've you know some of those changes. I I think we could probably do an entire show on you know why they made certain changes the way they did to be politically correct or whatever. They're trying to rewrite history, all of those kinds of things. But the basis of uh, of the attraction is pretty much intact. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they've modified a couple of scenes, you know, in the Spanish town and things like that and added a few things. But but really, when you pop out of the um, uh, out of the, uh, the the caves uh, into that big room with the pirate ship firing cannonballs, I mean, it's still pretty darn spectacular. It is. It really is. It's probably one of the best reveals there are in a, in, in, a, in an attraction, I think. Yeah. I had not been to Disneyland for over 50 years. Really? Until I was there about, uh, I mean, I went to the Club 33 with Garner Holt, but we walked down Main Street and we walked back out. Yeah. But I spent a day there with Marcy Caracas Mothers. Yes. And uh, that was exceptional. Uh, that was about three months ago. And we went to just... We kind of did everything and it was spectacular for another reason, just not just going to Disneyland, but everything we went to, first of all, the the weather was perfect. It was a gorgeous day. Every tree was in full bloom and everything we went to when we came out of there, first of all, we didn't have to wait anywhere. That was what surprised me to start with. And then we'd come out and there was a parade of characters the band was going by. There was something happening every single place. And even at the very end, we came out of Mr. Lincoln, which has been altered, of course, uh, sure. from when I was there. But I was so impressed with that. I really was impressed with Mr. Lincoln. We came out and just at that moment, the band had assembled with the Dapper Dans going up on the steps of the station and starting to sing. I mean, our timing was perfect. And the lowering of the flag ceremony to me was really one of the most goosebump times I can remember because not only was it so respectful in the way they handled the flag, 
but every person there was respectful. They had their, either, they all removed their hats, they had their hand on their heart, or they were standing at attention, and they had a show, their hands on the shoulders of the kids to make them sure that they would respect it. And that to me really said a great deal about the people that come to Disneyland. Yes. Left a very, left a lasting impression on me that the, the respect that it was shown. And, and, and that's also that flavor of small town America that that's been disappearing. You know, you, you, you can get that moment there. Right. Or it's moments. True. And you, you hear all, all of the uh, news about the people that don't respect it. And yet here it was just natural. Yeah. And Gunny, who was the master sergeant there for 40 years, I think, is now coming to Walt's Barn almost every month, the third Sunday of every month when we're open at Walt's Barn in Griffith Park and performing the, the flag ceremony. And, and I, I met him when when I when we spoke at Walt's Barn uh, a couple months ago, and uh, I it was the first time I had met him. We we're going to try and get him onto our podcast because I really want him to tell his story. He's such a nice man, Gunny Gunny Naper, and he had brought along um, another gentleman who had been, I think, a Marine, and they did the together. They did the lowering yeah. of the flag. And then they presented a new flag to the barn because um, the uh, second gentleman, I'm sorry, I do not remember his name. He and his wife presented a new flag because Gunny had told them that the old flag had been there for 20 some years and that he thought it was getting a bit tired. Yeah. And so the other gentleman came up with the idea of giving him a new flag. And that was a very touching moment as well. So if anybody wants to see the, uh, to see Gunny and uh, also to see Walt's barn with Lily Bell, uh, Walt's train and his workbench and all the other things, artifacts there. It's open the third Sunday of every month in Griffith Park. And, and, it, and it really, there. yeah, and, and that's right, Ta- Tanya, you do volunteer there and it's actually a wonderful uh, space. It's really a great place to visit. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm trying to organize a group of authors to do a book signing there uh, later in the year for the holidays. Excellent. Yeah. So, well, you know, we, and it's the only, apparently the only Disney attraction uh, that is, you can come in for free. Yeah. It just survives on donations. So like yourself, you came and you spent the whole afternoon and you donated so much of your books so much. And it was really appreciated. It was a great afternoon. I loved it. Yes. It was a lot of fun. We, it was a good crowd too. I have to say the afternoon shot by because there was so many people there. It was a lot of fun. Well, listen, Tanya, we're bumping up against time, but I want to get into uh, talking about uh, your botanical art and your involvement in the botanical artist uh, uh, guilds and whatnot. But we're going to do that next week. So uh, I want to say thank you for being on the Skull Rock podcast this week. And uh, we're going to look forward to talking to you next week uh, and continue the conversation, as it were. I look forward and thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Your attention, please. (laughs) Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. I love saying this about a guest. She is an absolute delight. You know, I mean... 
she's just a class act. Uh, absolutely wonderful, wonderful woman. I am so thrilled to not only have met her, but have this opportunity to talk with her and, and, and just really listen to her fascinating stories and, and talking about her life. And, and I have to tell you, Al John, I can't wait until part two because we're really going to talk about some really interesting things uh, about Tanya, uh, more facets of her life. I mean, you know, this woman has had an incredible life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and it's still going. It's still going. And she's so generous. You know, she is all about passing on her knowledge and being so humble uh, in that. And uh, I absolutely dig that about her and the fact that she's passing on all of that knowledge to the next generation. So uh, kudos to you. And we look forward to part two of this awesome interview. And then Dave, we also have to give a shout out to our listeners from across the globe. Thank you so much for subscribing. Don't forget to give us those five-star reviews. Leave us those uh, emails as well. We really appreciate it. Follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow Dave on LinkedIn as well as myself. And be sure to check out the show archives if you're just stumbling upon this show because we have tons of great interviews over the, I guess, year and a half uh, that our show's been around. It's been absolutely amazing having these guests on to talk about their life and times in the world of animation and entertainment. But once again, you can email us, Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast or SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave, you've got the final word. Well, you know, Al John, just to follow on what you were saying, I have to say that our archives are turning into an oral history about animation, about Disney, uh, about pop culture, you know, and, and and it's really something else. And I hope people get a chance if, if you are just stumbling on our show, just just look at that archive and, and pick out some of those interviews you want to listen to because they're they're just you know it, it's history it, it really it's is. just it's so exciting isn't it it is these stories must be told and it's great to have that that look into the behind the scenes that have not been documented there's so many great stories and tidbits out there for fans of pop culture in general not just disney so uh please check out the show archives we have so much great content there and more to come and with that, I will say to you all, go out, have a fantastic week. Enjoy yourselves. It's the middle of the summer. And we'll see you next week for part two of Tanya McKnight Norris right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast. What's going on? It's Al John and Kristen here. Summer's in full swing. The travel guru herself has got an awesome travel deal for you to kick things off. Kristen, tell us all about it. So those of you California residents, there is a special ticket offer just for you. You can purchase a three-day ticket with admission to one part per day for as low as $83 per day. This deal is good now through September 15th of 2022. Nice. And for all your cruising needs, any cruise line, 
Disneyland, Walt Disney World, or even Universal theme parks here in the States, where can people email you for their free quote and have you book their next vacation? At themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. 